Matthew. If you want to open your Bible up to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. In many ways, we're continuing on in our series in Genesis, which we've been in for a few weeks now. But particularly coming to chapter 22 is really relevant as we reflect on all that Jesus has done for us this Good Friday. So as you turn to Genesis chapter 2, and either your own Bible or the church black Bibles, let me ask you this question. How far is your faith willing to go? How far is your faith willing to go? God's promises, as we've seen in Genesis, call for great faith. Faith that is willing to go far. Faith that is willing to radically and sacrificially obey. Yet as we see with Abraham, and also as we reflect on our own lives, our faith doesn't often look like that. Our faith is more often marked by fear, or doubt, or instead our faith is more uh, marked by seeking the fleeting pleasures of this world, or desiring other things above the Lord. That's what Abraham's faith sometimes looked like. We've seen great faith with Abraham, we've also seen really big failures. The good news is that God forges that great faith in us, and he does that through testing, which is what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis 22, Abraham here faces his greatest test. This is his biggest test. Here his faith in God's promises will be tested to the max. And here we see the Lord graciously step in to provide in a way that, for, that points forward to Good Friday and to the one who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. So my prayer for us this Good Friday, as we gather together, is this. As we pursue radically obedient faith, and even face the greatest test of faith in our life, we will do so trusting and obeying a God who has graciously provided for us. That's why this sermon this evening is called Promise Provider. In our faith, in our walk of faith, and in our greatest test of faith, God has provided so let's read Genesis 22 together. We look down at verses 1 to 10. Let's hear the word of the living God together. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young man, Did his young man stay here with the donkey? I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid on his Isaac his son, and he took in his hand a fire and a knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for, for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, both of them went together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Can you just pray for us as we come to these things? 
and ask for the Lord's help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for revealing yourself. And in this passage, for revealing the sacrifice of your son in what we see here. We pray for help to understand and to obey all that you have caused to hear as your people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So God desires great faith, mature faith. And in verse 1 we see he brings that about by testing Abraham. Mature faith is forged through testing. And God, in this biggest test of all for Abraham, tests, uh, uh, is setting out to bring his faith to maturity. The same is true of us. God regularly tests our faith in order to forge a more mature and a more obedient faith in us. They were entering exam season in schools, right? Tests are meant to stretch us and challenge us. They are meant to mature us in our knowledge and in our skills. Without tests, we would never reach the educational maturity that we need or we could reach. And the same is true of our faith with God. If our faith is never tested, our default is to put our feet up and instead to pursue fleeting pleasures. Yet God desires that we have mature faith. So he, in his grace, steps in and tests that faith, stretches it in order to strengthen it. That's what he's doing here with Abraham. Tests, though often deeply painful, serve an eternal purpose. Tests like our own health. Tests like job security. Maybe pressure for what we believe. Raising children in a hostile culture. Navigating difficult relationships. Maybe even church trials. God tests our faith in order to mature it. Abraham's test here is to take Isaac, his only son, whom he loves. And verse 2 emphasizes that, doesn't it? Abraham, your only son, whom you love and sacrifice him. Consider how long he and Sarah had hoped for a son. Consider the, the joy that Abraham and Sarah would have at his birth as they held him, as they hugged him, as they kissed him. Consider the promises that are resting on this son's shoulders. This is shocking. This is heartbreaking. And all of this is meant to communicate to you and me that mature faith must be one to radically trust and obey God. Radically, sacrificially obey Him. Not just at our comfort, not just at our leisure, not just when it suits us. Is God asking us to do something similar? Okay, you may be thinking, goodness me, what's going on here? Okay, first thing to say is this. God does forbid killing in Genesis 9. We saw that last year. Has God here kind of changed his character? Has God here changed his mind in asking Abraham to do what he's asking him to do? How can he ask Abraham to kill his son? God does not change. God is just. We saw that a few weeks ago. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Second thing we need to know here is that God knows the outcome of what's going to happen. And he, from the beginning, has set out to preserve Isaac. Another thing we need to know is that this is a one-off, never-to-be-repeated, unique test of faith in God's Word. That serves to exemplify the kind of radical obedience that we are called to. 
Okay, so God is not asking us to do what he's asking Abraham to do here. We are not Abraham, okay? Importantly, this also serves to point to a greater act of faith, a greater act of obedience, a greater act of sacrifice, and that's what we remember in this Good Friday. So all that said, see Abraham's radical obedience here. Verse 1, here I am. God calls him, here I am, God. Then at the beginning of verse 3, in response to this test, Abraham gets up early, sets out, he obeys. He goes. Mature faith here is expressed, as verse 12 tells us, in a life that doesn't withhold anything from the Lord. Mature faith doesn't withhold anything from the Lord. Everything's on the table. And then verses 9 and 10, he puts Isaac on the altar and draws his knife. Look how far his faith is willing to go. Look how radical his obedience is. As Christians, okay, as Christians make no mistake, we are saved by faith alone in Christ. But mature faith, saving faith, is always expressed in radical, sacrificial obedience. It's always expressed in radical, sacrificial obedience. James chapter 2, verses 21 to 23, uh, speak to this. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. Friends of God, friends of Jesus, obey Jesus' commands. We call ourselves friends of Jesus. We are obedient friends. So for Christians here this morning, Genesis 22 tells us our obedience matters. They are the natural and necessary outworking of our faith. Therefore, we must strive by faith to obey in the strength of the Spirit. Mature faith is one to obey in a way that doesn't withhold anything. Doesn't withhold anything. It's a faith that approaches obedience. Not with the attitude of what's the least I can get away with here, but how can I love God and others to the max, to the limit, in a sacrificial way. It's an obedience that, like Abraham, says, Here I am. It rises up, it saddles up, and it goes. Even when what's lying ahead seems so difficult and so costly, so deeply costly. That kind of obedience can only be fueled by radical faith. So we've seen his radical obedience, see his radical faith. Verse 5, God calls him to do this, and then look down at verse 5, see his faith. Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come back again. Abraham believes that both him and Isaac will come back. How is that going to happen? He doesn't yet know. That's what faith is. Verse 8, Abraham assures Isaac, when Isaac goes, completely understandably, Dad, where's the lamb? We're going to make a sacrifice. Where's the lamb? Abraham, in faith, says, God will provide one for us. That's the kind of faith that enables him to carry through with what he's about to do. His radical obedience is fueled by radical faith. Though he doesn't know all the details, though he doesn't know how God's going to work out, though he can't see what's in front of him, he lives by faith and not by sight. 
He doesn't live by what's in front of him, but he lives by faith in the promises of God. He knows God will provide. He says to himself, God, if you brought me this far, if you've done all that you said you would do, if you've given us this son, you've done the impossible already, then I know you're going to do it again. I know you'll do it again. I know you'll provide. I know you'll make a way. Abraham's radical faith and obedience is rooted in God's provision and his promises. Hebrews 11, which we've been in a lot in this series, says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered, okay, listen to this. He considered that God was able even to raise him, that is Isaac, from the dead, from which, figuratively, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. You ever noticed that before? Abraham's faith is no ordinary faith anymore. He's come a long way from the faltering, fearless faith that we've seen. He's now expressing radical resurrection type faith. Faith that believes God can do the impossible. That's what leads him, that's what can lead us to obey God's commands in a radical way. God made the greatest demand of Abraham. There is no greater demand he can make of someone than that. Abraham responds in obedience, trusting God to provide, and that's what he does. God's promise demands radical obedience of us. God's promise provides what he demands through a substitute for us. Look down verses 11 and 14. His knife is out, it's hanging above Isaac, verse 11, but, how many times have we seen that in Genesis? But, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from you. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram, caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is to this day. On the mount of the Lord shall be provided. So in the end, God doesn't require Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham himself believed that death would be the end for Isaac. God was always going to step in and provide. And in this case, he does it by providing a substitutionary sacrifice in the form of a ram. A ram, not a lamb. The lamb is still to come. Genesis 22 begins a pattern that points forward to Good Friday. A pattern of God providing a substitute sacrifice for the sins of God's people so that they might live in covenant relationship with him. The place of the first sacrifice in verse 2 of this chapter is in Moriah. Second Chronicles 3 verse 1 tells us that Solomon built his temple on Mount Moriah. The place where God's people would make continual further sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins in order to remain in covenant relationship with God. And then on Good Friday, the final sacrifice, the final once-for-all sacrifice is made so that our sins might be forever and freely and eternally forgiven. No more repeating. No more substitute required. Once-for-all sacrifice. Good Friday reminds us that 
in Jesus, God steps graciously in to provide the very thing he demands of us. On Good Friday, we see a father not withholding his son, his only son, whom he loves, but is willing to sacrifice him on the cross. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Do you know that eternal life? Have you believed? We see a father and we see a son born miraculously by the Spirit, perfectly obedient to his father, rides on the donkey to his impending death, carries the very wood that he would himself would be sacrificed on, is led like a lamb to the slaughter in order to take away the sins of the world. Willingly, like Isaac, lays himself down on the altar on the cross, without a word, takes our sin, takes on upon himself God's wrath, dies, is buried, and then he's not just figuratively resurrected like Isaac, he's literally resurrected from the dead all on the third day. Jesus provides all that God demands of us, all that God asks of us, in order to be in right relationship with him. God demands righteousness, through faith we get credited with Jesus's. God demands obedience, Jesus obeys perfectly on our behalf. God demands the shedding of blood, without which sin can't be forgiven. Jesus sacrifices himself willingly so that we might be forgiven. In our sin, God provides Christ's righteousness. In our obedience, God provides Christ's sanctifying spirit, which changes us and enables us to live out that call to radical obedience. And as you read that, that request that God makes of Abraham, it seems outrageous. It seems scandalous, doesn't it? The instinctive outrage and scandal that we feel at the thought of an innocent boy being killed by his father, that's exactly what we're supposed to feel. That's exactly what we're supposed to think when we look to Good Friday, when we look to the cross of Christ. Yes, it is outrageous and scandalous that an innocent son should sacrifice himself for you and me, simple people in need of forgiveness. The moral outrage here is meant to magnify to us the mercy of God towards us. The shocking nature of the request is meant to remind us of how great this sacrifice is. God in the person of Christ stepped into the Isaac so that you and I wouldn't have to die but have eternal life. Good Friday is what enables you and I to say not it shall be provided, but it has been provided. And it's in light of this provision we're called to respond in obedience and in faith. Loved ones, Good Friday reminds us that when it comes to faith in God's promises, when it comes to the greatest test of those faith, maybe you're walking through one of those right now, it reminds us that Jesus has gone before us. Jesus has gone further for us. Jesus has died for us. And Jesus guarantees our future. He who did not spare his own son, did withhold him, but gave him up for us. How will he not also graciously give us all things? That's the last thing we see together this evening. God's promise demands obedience. 
provides what he demands and guarantees that he will withhold nothing good from us. Last few verses, verses 15 to 19. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn to the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven as a, and as the sand of the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Because Abraham didn't withhold Isaac, but radically trusted and obeyed God. God now, now guarantees through his promises, through an oath, which involves God swearing by himself, that he would hold nothing from him. The promise of chapter 12, confirmed through covenant in chapters 15 to 17, is now sealed, sealed fully, finally by God's own self-oath. God guarantees the blessings and the benefits of his promises based on the obedience of Abraham here and for us based on the obedience of Christ. The death of Christ seals forever the benefits and the blessings of the promises of God if we just believe. What does he guarantee? You saw it there. Blessing. Multiplication. The building of the church. The ingathering of all the nations. Victory over enemies which for them was going into the land and conquering for us. It's the conquering of, of sin and of death and of Satan and of hell through Christ and then being a blessing to the nations as Christ's global church gathered and going forward with the gospel and one day glorified. He will not withhold any of that from those who trust in Christ. That's what we're called to give our lives to. That's what the promises invite us into. Why would we want to withhold anything from him when this is what we get to give our lives to and enjoy eternally? And this is why our costly obedience, the radical obedience that God calls us to, is worth it. Loved ones, it's worth it. No matter how hard the test is, no matter how hard the obedience he calls us to is, it is eternally worth it. So let's rejoice. Let's take heart and let's hold fast. Hebrews 6 says that this unchangeable promise and oath that God makes here in Genesis 22 should encourage us to hold fast to the confession of our faith and to the hope that we have in Christ. This guarantee means that Good Friday, this guarantee, Good Friday itself, means that even in the greatest of tests of faith, we have hope. And we have a reason to hold fast. So let's trust and obey him, even when tested, because of his provision in Jesus. And it's that provision which we're going to be reminded of as we gather around the Lord's table together now. As we gather, we're reminded that the supper of the Lord Jesus was instituted by him the same night he was betrayed is to be observed in his churches to the end of the age as a continual reminder and display of his sacrificial death. <coughs> it's here to confirm our faith, 
and remind us of all of those benefits that are now ours in Christ. It's there to nourish and grow, grow us and to help us in our obedience. It's a bond and pledge of our communion with Christ and also with one another as we seek to hold fast in our hope together.